DKS17 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for startups and entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, a podcast and videocast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. .za or tweet this show using our handle at digital kung fu za or follow us on facebook.com slash digital kung fu za social entrepreneurship in my view is probably one of the least explored paths in the entrepreneurship ecosystem however on the line today we have trisha martinez who's an incredible entrepreneur or social entrepreneur i should say and her startup wallet.com is literally reinventing the banking system globally but with a key focus on emerging markets. So how does this work out? Well, we'll find out on the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Digital Kung Fu Show. My name is Matt Brown, and in this episode, we're going to change the format of the show a little, so I'd like to start today's show with a quote. Social entrepreneurs are not content just to give a fish or teach how to fish. They will not rest until they have revolutionized the fishing industry. Our guest today is a social entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Walla, a community-powered digital banking platform for underbanked consumers in emerging markets. And uh, Walla, interestingly, has just gone through the Barclays Accelerator program in London, so we'll touch uh, on that a little bit later. Um, There's a lot to cover today, and as you're about to discover, she's kind of a big deal in the social entrepreneurship space. Our guest in the hot seat today is Trisha Martinez. Trisha, thanks so much for your time today. It's great to have you in the hot seat. Great. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Cool. So um, what made you or caused you to choose the path of social entrepreneurship? You know, I um, I guess ever since growing up, I've just been a very a socially driven person. I always wanted to work in a field where I could help people and I actually did not discover social entrepreneurship until I went to uh, my master's program at the University of Chicago studying economics. I actually got into policy work because I thought, hey, if I want to change the world, I have to change policy, get into government, do that. Mm -hmm. And I quickly discovered the public sector is terrible, very slow to change, not innovative. And while I was doing my master's, I started taking classes at Booth Business School in social entrepreneurship. And it was kind of a light bulb. It was, it was fascinating to me to know that you could take uh, social, um, so social-driven solutions and scale them with a market-driven approach. And that really made sense to me. I, I worked for so many nonprofits and felt that they weren't scaling and that they couldn't really address the problems that they needed to. And mm. implementing a, a, a business makes a lot more sense to me. Okay. Um, you mentioned quite a lot around, I've been looking at your profile and it's come to some of the stuff that you've been talking about. You mentioned, you know, underserved markets um, quite a lot. So in my view, it seems to me like it's kind of like the cornerstone of social entrepreneurialism, if you like. Um, I'm obviously basically in a developing market, which to a large extent is very much underserved. Um, how would you describe what an underserved market is and what are the opportunities there for social entrepreneurs today? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, an underserved market can exist anywhere uh, in, in developed in the developed world, in U.S., in, in the U.K., in parts of Europe. Uh, the way we define underserved is that there is traditionally a group of um, individuals that are traditionally underserved, meaning they might be immigrants or they might be minorities that um, over time they have not been given the same resources that others in, within that market or community have been given. And most of Africa, we would say a large part of it is underserved and that these are uh, markets that are growing and they have a lot of potential, but because of their governments, because of the economies, uh, because there's a lack of resources being invested in them, they're still staying underserved and they essentially need that boost and that uh, investment to get them to, to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because in, um, in Africa, um, I was chatting to Fred Roth, the CEO of Worldwide Creative the other day, we we're talking about creativity and innovation and disruption and so on. And we talk a lot about the role of technology um, serving uh, or creating disruption in emerging markets with regards to constraint consumption yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, so is there a difference in your view in terms of the role of technology and social entrepreneurship compared to say disruptive innovation? Is there a role difference between when it comes to technology? Um, in terms of social entrepreneurship? Yeah. I yeah. think that people every day start businesses that are socially driven. Um, maybe they're, they're starting like a, a restaurant and, and, and they're only hiring, um, you know, individuals who just got out of prison. Like that would be considered a social venture. But in my mind, and what I really am passionate about is the ability to take technology and scale it to underserved markets. And that's what is so fascinating about Africa, for example, that a lot of these consumers near the bottom of the pyramid, the, the mass market and the lower income consumers have embraced technology because they have been forced to look for other solutions just because their governments or the, 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 the local markets aren't providing them what they need. And that's why you've seen you know, mobile payment take off. You've seen healthcare products on mobile phones take off. Like it's just incredible what we can do. And what's even more fascinating is that the rate at which people adapt to these technologies, it's way more faster than it has been in emerging or developed markets like the U S and mm. most of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, technology adoption, the curve, as they say, <laughs> um, and yeah. it is interesting. That point. Why do you think that is? I you, think it's about survival. I yeah. honestly, it's like when, when you are put into a position where you, you have to figure it out on your own and, and take anything available to make your life better, better, mm-hmm. you'll do, you'll do that. And, you know, that's, what's been really fascinating for us and, and Walla and what we've been doing that the growth in terms of financial literacy and seeing people working harder and harder every day, just because they now have access on their phone. It's, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Walla. Um, what problem are you solving? You mentioned financial literacy. That's obviously an endemic sort of uh, problem that I would I see commonly every day. Um, is there is there more to that in terms of the problem that yeah. you're solving? Oh yeah, we you know we are we're taking the biggest uh, approach ever. We're saying we're going to rebuild the entire banking system mm-hmm. in emerging markets, starting with Africa. Um, you know, I ended up getting into this because um, I have a background in microfinance and behavioral economics. I was doing work in the very poverty-stricken areas, the rural areas of Uganda, uh, and I was just really fed up. I was really angry uh, at the banks, the, the non-government organizations, the governments, and how 
there was no, nothing was consumer driven. People were building based off of what they thought needed to be built, but they were never going out and asking these consumers, how can we help you? Let me walk in your shoes. Let me understand what it's like to be you. And that's really how we ended up going about this. And it happened organically. We weren't trying to start a business. It just, people started coming to us and telling us their stories. And we quickly discovered that the banking systems are so terrible. And we, we honestly need to rebuild them completely. We can't try to fix them. We have to start from scratch. Yeah. I suppose it's, con- it's looking to convert the unbanked, isn't it? Actually, so what's interesting, what our story is, is we, we went into the saying, look, there's 2.5 billion unbanked people. People who don't have a bank account, that's a huge problem. But at the same time, when we, got, we started digging deeper into the problem, we quickly discovered that there are 1.2 billion consumers who are underbanked, which means they have a bank account or they utilize other financial services, but they're actually removing themselves by choice out of the system. If I'm a consumer in Johannesburg, I get a direct deposit into my bank account, but at the end of the month, I cash out because mm-hmm. it's so expensive for me to have a bank account due yeah. to all the transaction fees. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem in itself. If we can't, if we're pushing consumers to banking products that are so expensive that they can't even afford, we're mm-hmm. just going to keep perpetuating the problem. So what Wall is doing is building a free, completely free digital bank for consumers so that we start incentivizing them to put their money in the system to grow that money, to help them get to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, Stockfells. Are you familiar with the term? I'm sure you must yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I wrote a piece on Stockfells in South Africa and how there's something like 1.2 billion rands worth of cash literally stored under mattresses. Um, yeah. Bank fees is, is, a, is a reason for that, as you mentioned. Um, but isn't trust in the digital yeah. channel itself a barrier in this case. And what is your plan or Wallace plan to overcome that? Yes. I'm so happy you asked that. So, you know, when I say this happened organically, I, the very beginning of this, literally like seven months ago, I went out to talk to the people I knew in Uganda and understand why they didn't have a bank account. And this was all through Facebook messenger, just having individual conversations after one person, it led to 10 to a hundred to a thousand And these were individuals that through word of mouth were being sent to me because they wanted to tell me their story uh, about their financial problems. And they also wanted to ask me for advice. And, you know, I'm not a a financial advisor, I'm not a banker. So I thought this was really strange. I created a Facebook community and in a month it grew to a hundred thousand people. And all I was doing was posting daily tips. Like, why is it important to save? Why should you, what type of insurance should you be thinking about? Um, and this was just Uganda and, and we started looking at the markets to South Africa, took the same model, implemented it there. And in six months, uh, today we've grown the community in South Africa, Uganda to over 1 million people. Awesome. Uh, and these, what ended up happening is, is we really recognize it is about trust. And I started having personal conversations with hundreds of people a day we ended up hiring people locally to manage the community. And it really, the, the community itself focuses on trust. We come in saying, we know this banking uh, system is wrong and we want to rebuild it for you. Tell us what you want. Let's talk personally. Tell us what your story is. I tell you my story. It's mm-hmm. become a very community driven experience. And when mm-hmm. you discuss stock bells, that's that's what what's so fascinating about what we're doing. We're literally playing up on the way people interact in financial communities within Africa. People save in groups. They you know give loans out together. They do everything 
in, in a community. Mm. We're just utilizing that asset and, and giving them exactly what they want and need. And that's honestly why it's been successful. It's community driven. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the trans? Cause I, there's obviously an educational component, I'm sure, but quite a large one um, as part of the wallet proposition, like you mentioned the tips and so on on the transactional side of the coin. What's the, um, the kind of experience there if you're a Walla user? Yep. So right now, you know, we've, we've, we've built out this community. We own the opposite of it. So most people build the product and they go look for the customer. We actually have a million customers signed up waiting and now we're building based off of what they need. And so through all of our interactions and, and work, we, we've initially built a personal financial management tool, something that could help people save, manage money. It's so people actually win rewards, they get cash, airtime. Uh, but at the same time, we, we said we're not solving the problem. People products and they need free products. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're in the process of building out this platform. No one is making any transactions yet. It's We're actually looking at um, getting a, a banking license in Uganda, whether that makes sense. We're working with banks um, in partnership as well. So the way a consumer would interact is that it's it's free. We're taking on these fees so that they don't have to pay for it. They can now do peer-to-peer payments, peer-to-peer loans. We're essentially just creating this tool to let them operate in their stock bells and their savings groups, how they, how they already would have, but digitally. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a cash materialization, dematerialization component to the system yeah. at some point. Yeah. 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 And we recognize that's the biggest problem that we consumers, even though there are mobile payment systems, the big mobile network operators and everyone always loves to talk about M-Pesa and how it's been so su- successful. But at the end of the day, most markets are still cash based. They, mm-hmm. they use mobile wallets as a holding. It's, yeah. it is literally a wallet that they put money in and whenever they need to go make a transaction, they take cash out. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to, totally change the system. We want people to operate digitally. You shouldn't be having to carry cash around and you shouldn't have to pay a fee to make a transaction. So it starts with getting people to have an account and put money in the system and then incentivizing them to keep it there. So we're focusing on the consumer first and next we'll focus actually on the small businesses and merchants to incentivize them to accept digital payments and things like that. Yeah. You definitely need scale on both sides, don't you? You need the uh, the yeah. consumers and the businesses. Yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of the value exchange just tanks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Um, let's talk about the uh, Barclays Accelerator Program for a minute. Um, you obviously, you've just gone through the program. I think that's I pretty... just got back, yes. Yeah, just pretty started. awesome. Well, what was the experience like? What did you learn from it? What would you like to share? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Um, literally the greatest three months uh, ever for me. We, so I think the most valuable thing was that it was a Barclays Techstars program. So, you know, Techstars is a global accelerator program and they have just Techstars programs or they also have uh, programs where they partner with corporations. And if we didn't, if we just did the Techstars program, there's no way we would have gained as much value just because we had direct access to a customer. We really got to see how banks operate it was a fintech focus, which means all the uh, mentors in the program had finance backgrounds, which became so invaluable. So, you know, it, it started out, it's a three-month program. The first month is about, it's called Mentor Madness, where you're literally meeting with like over 100 mentors in three weeks. It's just chaos. Uh, they beat you down and make you feel horrible and then <laughs> build yourself back up. 
Um, and the second week is about building and focusing on your company. And the third week is preparing for demo day. And, um, it was just a, a fabulous experience because everyone, there were uh, 10 other companies, uh, you know, in blockchain insurance, like so many different things we all learned from each other. And I think at the end of the day, the greatest part of it was just the network, like getting access to the London investors, uh, experts and, um, and mentors is really valuable. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great segue into the next question, which is um, what attributes, actions or behaviors do you look for in either partners or equity partners? Because I imagine you have to partner given the Waller proposition. Uh, partner as in like uh, in a, in a, a bank or yeah, what do you a, mean? A bank or a personal, like a, a partner that would help you get into a particular region or markets. Anyone, are there any attributes or qualities that stand out for you? Yeah, so the way our model is set up is we essentially go to a bank and we we suggest that we're going to be a wealth customer of theirs. Um, We we open up a massive account and then we operate on top of that, a digital bank on top of it. So now we bring all these consumers. They're just essentially this back-end bank supporting us. And so we, you know, there's no, no equity. We would never bring a bank onto our, have a bank own any part of the company because, you know, we, we want to, we want to stay, um, we don't want to have just one partner. We want to go to different markets. There might be different banks we want to work with, and that could just be a conflict of interest. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Um, but, uh, you know, we've talked with many banks and for us, the main, the main thing a bank needs to actually be under recognize that they're the, the traditional banking models are wrong. The legacy systems, the branches, like it's just not working and they have to be committed to actually wanting to to change, to change yeah. it. And some banks you know are so they're so massive yeah, they're so massive and they're so stuck in the legacy system that it's nearly impossible impossible for them to change. Mm. And you, you'll meet so many, you know, people who have been banking their life so it's hard for them to see outside of that um and so we just have to find the banks that are actually committed and willing to make changes and 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 bring value to these customers that they're not serving yet mm-hmm. okay um that concludes the kind of section around wallet and so forth i think it's a really exciting proposition banks are some of my clients so <laughs> i totally understand where where the legacy <laughs> component comes into things so um yeah yeah i'll be it's, following it's yeah. It's been an interesting experience. Like I've I've never been a corporate person, and like I've just been an entrepreneur my whole life. And so, yeah, it's, I recognize this. everyone said like banks move slow, which is fine. But then banks in Africa move really slow. <laughs> so it's like we and we're like go go go. You know, an entrepreneur is always ready to go. So it's yeah, yeah it's, it's difficult sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, cool. So. um, Next, next section of the interview. Um, you mentioned you're on, you've always been an entrepreneur, right? So yeah. what do you believe about business that most others do not? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can't literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
stocks, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. That's a good question. I believe that actually, um, I believe in the next, I want to say five years, but that's not realistic. I think in the next 10 to 20 years, all businesses will be social. You know, right now, social ventures, social enterprises, however we want to call it, social entrepreneurship, it's like this new thing or like it's a buzzword. But in reality, like we're we're at a point in our in, in the world where if we don't start changing, then problems will continue to persist, and will the you know the especially like the, the income inequality gap will continue to perpetuate. That things are just going to get worse. So I think companies are going to be forced to start changing their their habits and actually have to recognize that they have to change to service underserved communities or the environment or um, anything like that. And I really believe that in the next 10 years, the term social venture will no longer exist because it will be embedded in every company. Great point. Totally share those sentiments as well. Um, what motivates you to be successful? Um, the, the impact. Like I um, am, you know, I, I talk to people about this a lot and I find it interesting that um, I, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a religious person, uh, but I've always believed that I was, I've believed that I believe that I was put on this earth for a reason and it was to solve a problem like this. And so it's not like no matter if I'm dirt poor or very successful, like I will always be committed to solving, um, problems for underserved communities. Like I just, it's an obvious to me. And so a lot of my friends are always like, I don't get that. Like, I, they work in the nine to five jobs and I just, it's, it's always been something for me that I'm so driven by. It's just like, I have to do it. I have no choice. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between good and great in business or social entrepreneurship in your view? Oh, good and great. Um, um, I would say, um, you know, there's a lot of good companies out there. Um, there's a lot of good like nonprofits as well that are doing doing things to help people but when when you're able to really scale something and like when it's when you're able to impact millions and you have a model that's not just for one one country or something like that that can really scale like that that becomes exceptional um and that's what's really game-changing and that's constantly what i'm striving for that i'm like we have I, I like to look at the problems that are so massive that seem like you can't even tackle them, but there has to be a way. And that's what becomes great to me. Okay, cool. Um, describe for, for us and the viewers um, what some of your morning or daily routines are. Um, as you broke up a little, describe my daily routines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So during the accelerator program, it was just wake up really, really early and run to the office maybe shower, put on my sweats, really didn't care. Um, London people don't really care what they look like, which was nice. Um, (laughs) In the U S it's a lot different. I, you know, I I'm back in the States now. I'm, I'm essentially homeless because we're trying to figure out whether we're moving to Cape town very soon. 
So I'm living at my mom's house, which is awesome with my dog. But my, my morning routine is waking up, going for a long run, especially when it's warm out. Um, running is my therapy and it helps me clear my head. I like to run like between four and 10 miles every morning if I can. Sure. Um, and then taking my dog for a long walk and going through my emails. And that's my... <laughs> Okay, cool, cool. Um, I wanted to ask you was um, the word successful. It's bandied about quite a lot. Um, but when you hear the word successful, who do you think of and why? Oh, um, um, the word successful, I don't know. I think I guess I could think of a lot of people, but the first thing that comes to my mind is um, the people in our community. Um, just because I interact with them so much and I, you know, like, I think what's really great is that I can see someone who feels like they're in a rut financially. And when we kind of help nudge them into a certain place and they get to that point where they feel confident, you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to be an incredible business person, but a lot of these people around the world are micro entrepreneurs just starting, you know, um, small, small businesses. And when they hit a level of, um, stability, that's true success. When like you, you really see someone getting to the point of building something and, and being stable, that to me is successful. Okay, great. Um, what problem do you face every day that nobody else has solved yet? Oh, um, oh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> It's an easy one. Come on. You get pissed off. I don't know. Think about running. (laughs) If you run every day, there must be something frustrating about that. (laughs) Not the physical side, something else. (laughs) Um, I guess maybe my problem would just be like um, the fact that I'm working internationally. So like I have meetings with people in London and Singapore and in Africa and I'm in the States. So like I'll have to wake up at 4am sometimes if I'm in the States. So like, this is like a time travel thing, right? Like that's the problem I need to get solved so I can or like be able to be somewhere really quickly. Like that's a pain for me that like, it's just not being able to communicate with people efficiently just because of the time zone is so bizarre. Yeah. 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 Having to be in more, more than one place at one time. Right. Yeah. 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 Cool. Um, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? Oh, um, um, uh, I guess maybe, um, you know, like what, not what motivates you, but like, you know, my, the thing that like, dry, like uh, nobody ever talks, asks about family mm-hmm. and like to me, an entrepreneur, um, like your social and pr- the people around you are such a, are a massive impact in your life because you're struggling constantly. And if you don't have a good support system, mm. it's fails so easy. and nobody ever talks about that. Um, and, you know, you hear all these things about like the, what's under the rug is, you know, entrepreneurs get depressed very easily, especially if you don't have that support mechanism. So I wish people would ask about that because to me, my family is like my, my rock. I have two older sisters. They're my best friends mm-hmm. and my mom. We're just like, I have a family of very strong women that I look up to. And, um, you know, I think I've been so blessed to have that in my life and that's what's driven me to be who I am. Mm-hmm. Are they entrepreneurs as well? 
No. And that's the funny thing is, um, you know, my father is an immigrant from, from Mexico and, um, my, like we grew up, most immigrants are very entrepreneurial, but, um, my parents were like, no, go to get your master's, get a corporate job, never leave. Like, you know, my family's very risk averse. So I'm the complete opposite, but I'm the youngest. So maybe that's why I like to be the rebel. Yeah, that's actually true. I was reading, um, Adam Grant's book called originals. Um, and he was describing family dynamics and how the larger the family, like the more siblings you have, the greater risk taking appetite, the youngest in the family, uh, uh, is it's very oh, interesting. Yeah. It's all based on research and so on. So there you go. There's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, which book have you gifted the most to others or someone else? Oh, I, I've never given a, a book as a gift. You know, I, I tend to read a lot of, um, um, books on like, um, macroeconomics and like, um, poverty related issues. A lot. Muhammad Yunus has written a few books that I really like, just because it's you know it's in line with what we're we're really working on. Mm-hmm. Lean in, of course, was one that I liked, but also had a lot of um, um, not concerns about, but I disagreed with uh, with her a lot. So, yeah, those books. Obviously, I feel like Lean in is one that everyone would say, especially a woman. <laughs> true. True. Hashtag true story. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, what has been the toughest decision that you've ever made in business and what did you learn from it? Uh, probably, um, you know, with what we're doing now, we would, uh, the decision to say we Walla is going to be a digital bank was a really big decision because, you know, so many mentors around us would say like, no, it's such a huge undertaking the capital, like the, you know, regulation, like it's going to be impossible. Like even mentors, like I would understand like more family met, like people who are more risk averse being like, you're crazy. What are you doing? But I always knew in the back of my mind that since the beginning, like we had a different uh, business model where we were essentially because we were growing these communities so quickly, we had customers who wanted better products. We thought we could be a lead generator for a bank, but the decision for me after inter with a lot of banks no the banks are the problem they're doing it wrong and that was a a huge risk for me to say no i'm not working with these banks and customers to build a better bank that was especially being a barclays accelerator like you know that was a big choice and i'm really happy that we have said that because we're definitely on to something big and you know it's Mm -hmm. one thing to go try to against regulatory regimes to try to take on an entire industry of banking is another thing. So <laughs> yes, it's a bloody hard problem you're uh, trying to tackle. So yeah, yeah, which is why it's so valuable, right? Cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, when, okay, well, who comes to mind when you think of the word punchable? Punchable? Punchable. Like I want to punch you in the punchable. face. Punchable. Yeah. Punching. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Because of that saying, eh? <laughs> yes, totally. And they would, we work with a lot of banks, but they would be like, that's fine. I agree with you. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, just working with some of them, I'm like, I just don't understand. I think the, the problem is, is that the bigger you become, 
the lack, the more empathy you lose as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's a fear for any startup, mm-hmm. but these totally, they, they were initially designed the wrong way. Um, but they don't, they lack empathy. They don't really understand these, the massive market that can like the, the population that they want to serve is pretty much 90%, but they can't, but it's because they don't go out and really understand these consumers. And that's a problem for most banks and, and not big corporations, right? Yeah. No. That's worth yeah. getting a punch. Yeah. 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 It's the illusion. Well, they claim to being customer centric, but very rarely are they ever anything, but you know, yeah. unless it's um, trying to, work with artificial intelligence to drive data to do predictive modeling around churn and whatever. And even then it's not doing a great job. So, okay. Last question for you, Tricia, and then I'll let you go. Um, If you could only leave behind three truths of life as your legacy, what would they be? Oh my God. These are really hard questions. Um, Um, Three, two, three truths. Um, one, something that I always say is this too shall pass. This is that's something my mom always told me that it is, may feel like the world is coming to an end right now, but this will pass and tomorrow or the next day, it'll start being easier and you'll overcome that. Um, another truth is, um, obviously I think as an entrepreneur, it's, you have to, you really have to, um, believe like I'm a I'm a a very emotional person so I'm a gut reactor and like if I if my body's telling me something I have to believe it Mm. um like it doesn't matter about my mind but a lot of time it's with my heart and so I think it's like trust your instincts um because at the end of the day you're probably going to be right and lastly um last truth would be to um to to live your life for all, for yourself, but also for others, because this is a global world, and you know we have to we you know we shouldn't look at each other like we're strangers. We have to help. If you're able to help, you should, um, because at the end of the day, we need each other to survive. So yeah, fantastic, Trisha Martinez. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to get to know you and to explore the wilder proposition. It sounds incredibly exciting, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Remember that the show is now on iTunes, so please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.